0: all right welcome uh my name is rabbi abram goodstein and i am reverend matthew schultz and you are listening to what divines us a podcast where matt and i uh, talk about religion and so we start off in this podcast with a program we call religion 101 and what we're doing is we're sort of explaining what a newcomer would experience as they come through our faith community and so last time we met we talked a little bit about right away what they would experience and this time we're talking more about sort of maybe the language they'll encounter in our faith community.
1: I think possibly it's one of the great barriers to our faith communities in, within um, kind of mainstream Protestant churches that there might be some jargon that people bump into that feels like it keeps them on the outside. So, <laughs> you know, as you walk in and people say, oh, we believe in the Trinity. Well, that might not be easy for a lot of people to understand. They might not have ever heard of it before.
0: Yeah, we have Hebrew. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right, so so Matt, why, not, why don't why you go first? And okay. so pretend like I'm just I'm, I'm a newcomer. And so last time we, we met together, I I discovered that you have a class uh-huh. with like a four like a month or or a four week program. And so perhaps maybe I'm experiencing that class. Like, what's some of the things so you already mentioned Trinity? Like, what are some of the things
1: I I might encounter, which right away may not be clear? Sure, sure. Well, there are t- two ways to look at it. Are what is some of the jargon, and then also what are some of the ways we talk about our things? So with the jargon. For example, I mentioned the Trinity. Now, most everyone, even if you're not a religious person, you've seen a movie where there's a Christian clergy person saying, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, there's the Trinity. It's uh, three ways that God frequently expresses God's self in Scripture. Um, but the word Trinity itself is never in the Bible. It's just a structure we've placed on it to talk about it in a in a way that's less... Of a word salad than having to say all those things all the time, um, but of course you know God is expressed in other ways also, and so you'd have to count them all up and put a prefix on that, um, and it gets it gets kind of crazy. But the word Trinity itself is so hardwired into our tradition, and you'll look around town here, you'll see there is a Trinity Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. you know, so it it really just goes way back that if. If you go to most Protestant churches, you'll bump into that word. So, as a as a rabbi, I I don't encounter the term Trinity sure. too much. Of course, I'm yeah. gonna ask you a couple of questions. Is Please that, do. That? Yeah,
0: yeah. So so uh, I feel like so the, the Trinity is is a combination of me to me of uh of like three things and also one thing.
1: Yes, and they'll even use the phrase in some of our sacred hymns, they'll say three-in-one, a three-in-one God, which to me sounds like a shampoo advertisement, right? (laughs) Uh, Conditions uh, and a shampoo. Exactly, yeah. And in some of our oldest creeds in in the Christian faith, we say we believe in the Father and in the Son who are consubstantial. Now, believe it or not, people actually came to physical battles over consubstantial. Are God and Jesus of the same substance or are they of similar substance? I know it sounds crazy, but people killed each other over that, that distinction. And then the Holy Spirit, which proceeds from the Father and the Son. And so one way I've often heard it described uh, as a metaphor is think of the Sun, and the Sun itself is there as a reaction, but I'm sorry, and I've changed the word Sun now from S-O-N to S-U-N. So <laughs> think, of, think of our star, <laughs> in the solar system, and it, it in and of itself is a physical item, but then we also feel heat from it, and we also feel light from it. So those are three different distinct aspects of the same thing. Okay. That's how someone might describe the Trinity to you. Now personally, and here's where I'm a heretic, I think the phrase Trinity is far too limiting when you're talking about God. I mean, God could be a three million itty, and all uh-huh. these different ways of self-expression that God can choose to utilize. But um, when you think about being a newcomer into a church, and, and you know, in Christian Church 101, you're going to hit that word. And sometimes people will just drop it and move on with their day, not realizing that it's a strange and large term. Can, can I just, so in Judaism, historically, has been very
0: patriarchal. Sure. Uh, and we're, we're in my community, and in the reform movement especially, is working on being very egalitarian. Okay. And I can't let notice that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, you've got two male entities. Absolutely correct. And I I wonder how like if you want to be
1: more egalitarian. Yes. How's that work? So you might have noticed me choosing my words carefully when I said God's expression of God's self instead of himself. So there are several things to, to unpack there. One I was raised in a particular tradition that does use male language for God and I am trying to break some of my habits I was raised with. So part of it is my uh, I mean, like for anyone, it's hard to break some of those old habits you were raised with, right? Um, at the same time, I was raised by a very, very feminist, ordained mother. <laughs> so so <laughs> nice. she was big into feminist theology and yeah. raised me to have this internal picture of God that transcends gender. And my denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, does not believe that God is male. By, by any means. And so um, look through scripture. You can find metaphorical language for God as mother, for example. And we're cool with that. Of course, that's just kind of our presumption. But for me, I just fall back into that male language sometimes. It's hard not to uh, just as a creature of habit. Jesus, on the other hand. Well, yeah, part of our theology of that is that when God chose to express God's self. There I go. As a human being, certain choices were made to be born into a particular tradition, into a particular time and place, and into a particular body. And in this case, it was that male body. Many Christian traditions have utilized that to subjugate women, and that's sinful. Many others are trying to undo that damage that we've been a part of in the past. And so proud to say we're trying to undo that patriarchal harm we've done, but you know, it's still part of my background. And we just gotta accept that and apologize for it. Okay. All
0: right. All right. All right. So, uh, okay. So, I, I encounter the term Trinity, Have a basic understanding of what that means. Mm-hmm. I love that S-U-N metaphor. Yeah, yeah. That's great to experience. Yeah, you, you experience our own star in different ways, mm-hmm. same way you experience Trinity.
1: So, then what other kind of uh, vocabulary or, or language will you encounter? You know, what's funny is a lot of times I'll welcome people and tell them, hey, afterwards we're having coffee in the Narthex. Be sure to join us. The Narthex the narthex. exactly the, the correct response and that's exactly what newcomers will say what the heck is a narthex?" and it's just it's the lobby and uh <laughs> church uh architecture has its own history and its own jargon and narthex is just it, it served a different function initially but as it's currently utilized and how we currently express our faith it's the lobby and it's where you hang out and chat with people and catch up so most Sunday mornings, you know, once we meet in person again, when I welcome new folks and I say, please stay afterwards, we're all going to hang out in the lobby and have coffee. I have to catch myself and get away from the jargon because, and here's something you might've encountered too. We, you and I have studied this stuff too yeah. much, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? <laughs> A Way lot. too much. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so for me to say to you, you know, uh, well, I mean, wherever our overlap might be, we might reference some real deep cut on the theological record player. Sure. And, and for you and me, it's just shorthand, and that's easy enough to do. For other people, then, they're like, what in God's you know, earth yeah. are you talking about? You know what's funny is we have a term, abima, which uh-huh. just means our, um, our essentially the stage of our sanctuary. Right? We call that abima. I didn't know that word. Yeah. Probably yeah, most yeah, people yeah. don't, unless, yeah, yeah, yeah. unless they're in your world yeah. for that, right? right? Um, so yeah, we have to be careful about that kind of thing. So there's Trinity, and there is narthex, and sacrament. You know, in the Catholic Church, I believe there are seven sacraments, but in the Presbyterian Church, there are only two. Now, I'm hearing the word sacred in the word exactly. sacrament. Exactly. Yeah, so it's... A, what else is...
0: What, what does that it's
1: a, it's a sacred uh, ritual, a moment in which we acknowledge the actual presence of the Holy Spirit in, in what we're doing, and in our tradition it requires a certain level of scriptural command to it. So, for example, Jesus says to his disciples about the Lord's Supper. That's our second um, sacrament, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says to the disciples, do this in memory of me. And so that do this commands us to do it. And that is part of the, 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 the litmus test to make it a sacrament as opposed to just a ritual that we enjoy. And baptism as well. We're commanded this is something you must do. Again, here's my heresy coming through. There are lots more. You know, Jesus says, feed the poor. That should be a sacrament, in my opinion. Feed the hungry, I mean. And Jesus says, give your money to the poor. That should be a sacrament. Jesus washes his disciples' feet and says, go and do likewise for others. And forgiveness to others. He says, go and do likewise. Forgive. Those then are all sacraments, in my opinion. Um, But there are other things that... You know, it's done within the context of worship. It's done within the context of community. So there there are a lot of parameters people place on it. But just as your response when I say sacrament is, oh, what's that all about? That's true for 99% of the population. But for me and my pals from seminary, we can say the word and that baggage automatically comes in. So we have to be careful to translate into layman's terms. Just like in any job, you study your stuff so much that you suddenly you're speaking a different language so yeah. what's sacrament i guess what's it look like if i uh, watch sure. it um well you touched on and you have to remind me of the word but when you join the synagogue you have your ritual bathing practice yeah, outside uh, and on your own usually um and i believe baptism grew from that um but but we stay clothed because y'all are a bunch of freaks. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. It's part of the rule. you got all them rules. Yeah. No. Um, I think it grew out of that, and it's a ritual, um, metaphorical cleansing, metaphorical rebirth. You you know you sink into the water and come out anew. new. That's sacrament. That is a sacrament of uh, baptism.
0: Oh. Okay. Okay.
1: So a sacrament is our ritual, um, taken done in the context of a worshiping community. Uh, at which we acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit, and it is conducted as best as we can, uh, conducted as commanded by Scripture. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and honestly, people write their dissertations on these on these outlines of what counts and what doesn't count. Um, and in seminary, we definitely had two different tracks of people. You had the PhD track people who really fine-tooth combed all those definitions and the outlines of what's in and what's out mm-hmm. and then you had the pastoral people like myself who are <laughs> happier to just let it be a little bit fuzzy on the edges yeah, and yeah. you know and, and and we're more interested in how does this live in a community um, and both are super important I'm not trying to downplay the PhD work it's essential but um, it's just different than what I do
0: um, so it's so a little more on the sacrament um, because... yeah sure <laughs> uh, so it's a, it's part of it's ritual, it seems like, and part of yes. it is a command from, a textual command from, uh-huh. the, from the Bible. Yes. Uh, and, uh, but there's a component of where where you're required to be around for it, right? Yes. A person can't perform a sacrament without uh,
1: some kind of pastor involved. I like that you use the phrase some kind of. Because yeah. that, that role is becoming more accessible in various ways. So I am an ordained minister of word and sacrament. Um, we change the terminology from time to time. Uh, It was teaching elder recently, but I think it's changing again soon. So all this jargon, again, comes in. Most people don't care. They look at me and they say, hey, pastor. And that's the end of it. Um, But there are also certified lay pastors. So you get a town like, if you go to Gamble up on St. Lawrence Island, it's very, very difficult to get to. It's far off the northwest coast of Alaska. And if you look at your map at home, odds are it's not on there. Because, uh-huh. because mainstream maps from the lower 48 just shrink us down so much. So people who live there might find it difficult to have a pastor move there or to provide all the background needed to be an ordained pastor in the same way that I am, which requires a certain level of... Um, master's degree level education Education. and then it requires once you have that there are minimums to what you have to pay us in a certain area Mm -hmm. and some of the churches in the more isolated areas don't have that income base and so in those areas we do have other functions in place where you can have uh, a person have Uh, a more accessible track to do these sacraments on behalf of their community
0: so so a sacrament requires a someone who's somewhat ordained who's been yeah who has
1: been properly prepared and educated on what the meanings behind it are
0: okay so if
1: i get someone that comes up to me as this is a real life example someone says i want to get baptized but it's a quarantine can you just come to my house and baptize me alone um a i say that's not preferred because of A, B, C, D, E, F, G, theological reasons. Right. But I've also been educated enough on the processes to know that all of those are contingent, and they tend to start with the phrase, under normal circumstances, you shall Uh do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Which then provides us, the have to say, 2020 was anything but normal circumstances, <laughs> right? Right? Right, and so, right, 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 And so then I bring it to my leadership board and request permission to step outside of the norm in this occasion. And sure. typically they're real friendly about it.
0: Well, What's also, it seems, like, important is the, uh, is the spirit, right, as, part of, uh-huh. as, a, as, a, as a part of this process.
1: The Holy Spirit, again, one of those uh, three prongs of the prongs Trinity. Of yeah, the Trinity. Yeah, yes. Um, yes, now, of course, in our theology, we believe this is always present. But we acknowledge it in a very special way and uh, welcome it in and prayerfully ask for that presence to be efficacious in a certain way. Um, you know, we don't see bells and whistles flashing, but it is, is more of a special acknowledgement of that presence. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> a lot going on there. A lot of, yeah, It can sound like hocus pocus, but really Presbyterians are, are pretty... Uh, restrained if sometimes in our sometimes I yeah. feel
0: like I don't know as a rabbi maybe I shouldn't admit this, but sometimes I feel like a lot of religion sounds like hocus pocus. Right. Yeah. Sometimes absolutely. I, and like yep. you know and like I, I love the rituals and mm-hmm. I love I love the Judaism of course and the practice that we do. But yeah, it's yeah. sometimes it kind of it kind of kinda falls sort of what I would call like magical thinking.
1: You know often. maybe that's a topic for a future yes, episode yes, yes. is yes. the uh, the showmanship aspect sure, of sure. it. Because I was told once very straightforwardly by another pastor, who was my boss at the time, that when I do the benediction, that's Um. the closing blessing as people are being sent away. And I said, go now in peace, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he told me, you have to raise both hands when you say that. Because it looks And I was like, why? And he said, I don't know, we just do. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, in my opinion, it's like waving a magic wand and saying, hocus pocus. It's like this moment of power now.
0: You know, and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and
1: I still you don't. Know, I to can, this day, I don't do it because it feels fake. It feels manipulative to me, so I don't do it. I, I feel like as
0: clergy, we often have to sort of like thread this needle that what we do is should not be considered a performance, right. but at the same time, is performative. Absolutely. And, which is really yeah. funny, because like, you know, sermons, I don't know about your about uh-huh. your community, but we never clap at the end of a sermon. We ever. seldom do. Ever clap. Yeah. Because a sermon's not supposed to be a performance. What about music? Music, we never clap.
1: We never ah. clap.
0: There's no clapping.
1: So this is an internal disagreement amongst individual churches or between church and church. There's a yeah, lot of yeah. difference. I encourage my congregation to clap for the music uh-huh. because I am so appreciative of the musician's gifts. Sure, sure, I have never, ever encouraged applause for a sermon. I think I got applause for like three sermons, and there were ones that were particularly strange. <laughs> you know, like I did... Um, I did one where there where it was all in rhyme.
0: Right? Sermon in rhyme. The whole thing rhymed. Gotcha. And So at the yeah. end when
1: I was done people applauded because it was weird and it was more showbiz ish, <laughs> yeah, right? There yeah, was an yeah. aspect to it that was like, hey, get a load of this weird Great. thing. Now I know you did a rhyming sermon. I feel like I have to do one too at this point.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Um, but uh, but yeah, so anyway, I just feel like it's a needle that, that you and I th- yes. thread and like we yeah. never like the uh, the you will never hear clapping, at, at, like ever. Okay. Um, only because mu- even the musicians, and you know, we have a, a strong sort of like musician musical flow, and mm-hmm. call like a cantor yeah. is a, someone who specializes in sort of J- Jewish liturgy, right. if you will. Um, they, you don't clap for them because they're not performing; they're unlocking yes. the capacity to pray. Is so, the yeah. idea right? But right. they often are performing. And if right? I remember,
1: the cantors. Sound it is more reflective and quiet and I, slow. Is that well, is that accurate? Not well. I mean, it can be. I okay. mean, like we have a we we're
0: we're millennium millennia the plural of millennium old, right? Yeah. Uh, and so we've it's got falcons. <laughs> yes, yes. So we have lots of different singing traditions, um, okay. including different regional singing traditions right. as well, depending on where you are. Which I'll get to a little bit later. Sure. Sure. Um, and so a canter is sort of the keeper of that knowledge of the musical knowledge of our okay. Jewish tradition um, and mm-hmm. so you'll hear them do all kinds of all kinds of great things it's not supposed to be a performance really
1: but it is somewhat performative right, yeah. right. Yeah. So I strange. mean because you have to be you have to articulate things well enough to be heard and understood. You have to yeah. be loud enough. Yeah. Theoretically, they hit certain notes. And it's, right? got, and
0: it's got to sound beautiful. Yeah. It right? Right. And yeah. that's, a, that's kind of like a performance. It is. But it's not. It's not. We're just unlocking the capacity to pray.
1: And I think the problem there is not on the part of the person doing the act of singing. I think the problem there is a bad theology of performance.
0: <laughs> no, I'm being absolutely serious. Okay. It's, I think okay. we
1: view performance as if it's bad. But it's not. I mean, we, we pay so much money to go to the theater and go to a concert and go to the movies because they make us laugh and cry within the same one hour window. They, they move it's us. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Why on earth would we not draw on that to connect with our congregations in as powerful a way? Yeah. Right? That doesn't mean it has to be fake. You can go and see a movie that's, that's all real events. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, the opening scenes of Saving Private Ryan, Oh my gosh. where they're storming the beach, who was who left that moment? Just those what ten minutes without crying? Yeah. We all did, and it was a hundred percent true. I don't know, like fact for fact accurate, but it, it told a truth. It did, yeah. So why Probably. would we not utilize show business? I wasn't clapping tools? at yeah. the
0: end of, of the first ten minutes of crying. True, right true. Now. We weren't clapping there, yeah, but yeah. think
1: of the end of Les Miserable*, which. We all clap at. I don't know if you've seen that, but I'm a huge fan, and it I, communicates it, emotional and spiritual truths that move us to tears and applause.
0: I, I'm gonna make, make a. I, last time you were, you were really brave to admit you never saw a fiddler on the roof. Yes. Oh, is that yours? I've seen like I can't get through it. It's too. <laughs> it's too. It's too devastating. I'm 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 well, like. Look at I the title. I, do I want to be sad for two hours? <laughs> so yeah. I, I've definitely made a yep. couple of a couple of attempts. Um, and uh, that's a, and that's a fair question What I need to do? He needs to come to you know off Broadway. He needs to come here one day. Where it I, did. Where it where came I, I here I like
1: three years ago. Well, I took my church. <laughs> I, where I can't leave. Where I'm like I'm stuck. And then then probably I'll, I'll experience the whole thing. Well, but, I think yeah. I think we now found a post COVID double date <laughs> that that you two will take us to see uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and we will take you. To see all right, it. all right. That's with, not good. Well, we cool. Spouses and, though I, I
0: would prefer to see it just by ourselves because then okay. we can add the commentary. Because I'm all about like oh, I speak okay. through everything I watch. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, be yeah. Good. I must be super annoying to watch things with. I'm all over
1: it. I yeah. like it. Anyways, anyways, anyway, anyways. So. so I don't know that I got to everything you want me to. Do you want to switch and we can talk about your jargon intro sure. stuff? Yeah, sure. sure. So same kind of deal. I walk into the place and m- maybe I'm part way through your membership. Uh, routines in yeah, classes yeah. what are some of the, the language things I might encounter um,
0: besides Hebrew besides the
1: whole language of Hebrew yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah let's
1: not, let's just put that to the side for yeah. now
0: yeah. because uh-huh. you are going to encounter some interesting stuff like I mentioned already like Bema which is just sort of like our stage Yeah, we call it a Bema but like I think what I want to kind of uncover a little bit here um, for our podcast is sort is of just like you're going to have to navigate this understanding of like what is Judaism mm-hmm. uh, is it is it a race are, because if you're if you're going to convert to it, the way that you describe or define a race is yeah. not something you ever convert into, right? Right, right, um, yeah. And yet, many Jews consider Judaism to be some sort of, like, a race. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, and this didn't, of course, this didn't really start like that until we had the Holocaust and, and World War II, and with Hitler saying that Judaism is a race. Jews are a race of people. Really? Yeah. Before yeah. that that doesn't appear in the literature. Not green. really. Wow. No. I, yeah. I was not aware of that. Yeah, um okay. and uh but that being said, there are a couple of ethnicities of Judaism that often many of us can kind of like tr- trace our roots back to, right. right? And so you might hear a term like Ashkenazi, Sephardic or Mizrahi, yeah. which are diff- which are different ethnicities of Judaism. Uh-huh. Ashkenazi being Eastern European. Sephardic being Spain and Northern African, and Mizrahi being more like near Middle Eastern. And are
1: those three distinctions describing distinctions of people who are of the Jewish faith, or are they an ethnicity of their own, which largely overlaps with a Jewish faith tradition? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's never easy with Judaism, that's right, for sure. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Um, and so, yeah, so you can trace, like, my family roots, you know, are definitely... Ashkenazi. You can trace my family back to um, Eastern Europe. It's okay. possible you can do that. But uh, but other people, you know, you look at look at their sort of their history, and you can trace them back to different locations. Mm-hmm. You know, just think about like this idea. There's this term diaspora. Another term right. you're going to encounter, and that's essentially Jews outside of Israel. You know, we've we've experienced that diaspora for such a long time now. Mm-hmm. We are a, a people of diaspora, right. right? Now it's great that we have Israel, kind of like back, if you will, as a country. Um, as a Jewish homeland, mm-hmm. but still, I, I think it's, I think I think at this this point we still have more Jews outside of Israel than we do in. Sure. Um, and and like myself, I plan not to leave the U.S. anytime soon. Like I, I mean, like I, I consider myself to be American and Jewish. Mm-hmm. I'm happy that Israel's there. I've lived there before. You know, I've been there many times, but but uh, I'm ha- I'm more than thrilled just to be an American Jew. Okay. Um, and so so but that's so that's so many of us Jews can trace though can trace where our Judaism comes back from to that. To the area, but what we can't really do is like trace our genes back to the twelve tribes of Israel. Sure, Which sure. I, I often get that like, oh, what tribe are you from? I'm like, really? Well, how can I know? Huh? Um, you know, and those for you who may not re- realize, ten of those tribes went missing when the Assyrians came and conquered the northern part of Israel and then moved them out. So those ten mm-hmm. tribes are gone, and all we have left are Jude- is Judah, Benjamin, and the Levites. Um, so I don't, I have no idea. Like, right, what right. tribe I would be from, but we do know that if your if your last name is Cohen, that means priest, and so you you actually have mm-hmm. a line sure, to the sure. priestly tribe. And same thing with the uh, you know the Levites, you have like a last name of like Levine or something like that, mm-hmm. kind of trace it back to that too, I guess. But uh, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, but yeah, so it's interesting that this idea of like ethnicity and Judaism, but people who convert, you know, they come right. from a totally different thing. And so I, then
1: suddenly you have a Jewish person named O'Brien, right? and, right. and they would be hard to find any lineage that goes back to the tribes.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that happens all the time, you yeah. know? And so we have plenty of people who I would call mm-hmm. Jew by choice, yeah. um, who converted Judaism, who, who are not part of those three groups that I, I mentioned before, the Sephardic, Ashkenazic, or Mizrahi. Right. They're their own, you know, of course they convert in, so they have their own unique family history. And we don't discount that or ignore that. But, uh, you know, it's just that seems to be, you know, that's great to add that, that variety in too. Yeah. But, but yeah. for people who are not converted, who are born Jewish, uh, often you can, those are the three places you can trace you can trace those sort of form of Judaism but okay. what's so fascinating too is that like when it comes to say like the Holocaust it was mostly Ashkenazic Jews that really suffered hmm. um, Eastern European Jews I mean certainly there are some, some Sephardic Jews that of course got caught up in that Sure. but many Sephardic Jews kind of got through it unscathed mm-hmm. um, and but so, largely because of location? <laughs> yes <Okay>. location is <laughs> helpful and then like you know we have uh, this strong old tradition of commentary right? Uh-huh. us Jews love to commentate on things right. and you'll have like a Sephardic and Ashkenazic tradition of commentary and they have different rules. Right. The most, the, the best rule is we have a, a holiday coming over called Passover uh-huh. which is coming up really soon and in Passover you, you're limited with what, what you can eat. Sure. Right? You can't eat things that sort of like um, anything that has like yeast in it or anything that rises mm-hmm. um, And but in the Sephardic tradition you're allowed to have rice and the Ashkenazi tradition you're not. So okay. we joke during Passover, we all become Sephardic Jews. Because <laughs> we all want to eat rice still, yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so we definitely have those ethnicities sort of playing within right. our religion. But as I pointed out before, we still have many people who have converted into it that aren't necessarily uh-huh. part of that
1: of, of those groups. Gotcha, Okay. So, are there other language barriers than uh, like any sort of jargon that might be a, a strange encounter for someone? Yes, I mean,
0: up. so many. I mean, not only do we have like Hebrew, uh-huh. we also have Yiddish. Oh, right, and you're gonna right. encounter some of that too. For example, the best example of that is like you know, a kippa or a yarmulke uh-huh. is the same thing. It's a, ha- a small little hat we all wear during services. A kippa is sort of the Hebrew term. A yarmulke is the Yiddish term. Okay. Right? Yep. So we'll often have words that mean the same thing that are kind of competing uh-huh. you know, with each other. And then another thing, like, um, remind me of the word for lobby Narthax. Narthax, yeah. I'll yeah. say something like, you know, meet us for Oneg. Um, right, I yeah. remember that yeah. from when I was there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and 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 oneg is means like dessert. It's it's yeah. like it's like the reception after the service.
1: So now, to in, to a lesser degree, there's a barrier with Christian Christian churches that are almost the same, where we say join us for fellowship time. Yeah, yeah, which just to me sounds smarmy and gross, Wait, but I, it's yeah. but it just means the same thing: hang out and eat together.
0: I never hear yeah. anyone Jewish say the word fellowship. It's so interesting. I never it's hear a Christian, a Christian yeah, word, but I never hear me. a
1: Christian say it outside of overtly Christian context. Yeah. Yeah, it's, so not like, it's not like I say that to my buddies after nah, basketball. Thanks nah. for the fellowship, you know, like, no, it's, it's silly. Right, right, right. So, oneg. Okay. Oneg, yeah. It's another one that you'll get. But also,
0: something else that's interesting about Judaism is that it's because it's so old, uh-huh. we've picked up words of other cultures, too. Right. For example, we all know, well, many of us know that a synagogue is our place of worship. Mm-hmm. Synagogue is not Hebrew or, um, or Yiddish. It's Greek. Oh, that's um, funny. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, because Judaism, that. Well, Judaism is very Hellenized. Right. Right. Uh, um, during during that time period, uh-huh. um, so like for another example is the Holocaust. That very term right. is a Greek term, uh-huh. um, and it means whole burnt offering, right. which also has its own you know implications, yeah. implications yeah. there. But yeah, so we have we have these Greek words that also make their way into it. And I'll tell you, this is not this is not like a relatable problem. But when I'm like studying like like Talmud, which is sort of like a, a law code, uh-huh. a lot of times um, those Talmud scholars knew Greek. Right. And sometimes a Greek word will find itself in Hebrew, in the Talmud, and I'm like, what am I looking at right now? Yes. I don't know what this word is. I don't even know how to figure out how to find it. You so know? I
1: encounter this in my work also. We have to take a class. Here's another buzzword for exegesis. Yes. Where we have to go back through to the original languages. But, of course, even that phrase, original language, presumes so much. And a lot of what I end up studying is the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures, yeah. as translated you know, shortly before Jesus came along. And then even some of those Greek New Testament writings will keep some of the original spoken Aramaic, but that Aramaic isn't quite Hebrew, but you know, but it's, not know, not quite <laughs> quite but it's got a lot of it's very Hebrew close flavor, it's very close. Yeah. So yeah, we find ourselves on those same uh, walking that same tightrope of, yeah. of what language matters here. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, this is what's kind of I guess I'll call this what's fun about being part of like, an yeah. old religion. Is that you have a, all that age? You encounter it mm-hmm. often, and it's still alive today. Like, I mean, the yeah. word synagogue, which you know is a Greek word, and Greek is technically a dead language. Well, it's, you know, except for in, in Greece, <laughs> evolved. Yeah. yeah, but ancient, but you know, Koine uh-huh. Greek right. or Attic Greek is not necessarily alive anymore. Uh-huh. And yet, and yet, our our tradition preserved some of those words because right. we and we were still around. We were around mm-hmm. when that was around. You know, I can't wait to figure out or can't wait to see like. What, are, what Judaism preserves now, in like in a thousand years, right, it'll be right. interesting to see what that looks like. Yeah, <laughs> that will be cool. Yeah, yeah. Our our second segment we call Stray Dogma. And this is where uh, Matt and I talk a little bit about some of the things about our, maybe our, our own tradition that maybe annoy us or that we're upset about. You know, it's an opportunity for us to be sort of skeptical, yeah. um, which I think is nice. And, and so we're going to start that now. And, like, I think what, what Matt and I were talking about, what to discuss for our straight dogma segment this time, we kind of, like, landed on this idea of, like, we're not necessarily holier than thou, and we often get I take that out the <laughs>
1: word necessarily. We're not at all holier than thou. <laughs> and,
0: and we often get that get that projected
1: onto us.
0: Yeah. So I don't know, Matt. Do, do you want to kind of talk a little bit about it first? Or? Sure.
1: Well, well, the funny example is when maybe it's someone I don't know that well, and I've just been introduced to them at a at a party or some other function um, that's outside of church circles, but they know what I do. Mm-hmm. And then in the midst of that conversation, they'll drop the f bomb or tell some joke that has sexual content to it, and then they remember that I've got Rev before my name, and they turn and go, oh, sorry, and that bugs the crap out of me. That makes me so mad, because... It, Do not you know what death it, bomb is? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and some, I'll even make that joke sometimes, like, why? What does that word mean? I haven't heard that before, you know? I've spent my whole life in a cloister. I don't know what, what sexual content is in jokes. So, yeah, that's really... It's strange, because it's all coming from them, and what they perceive my role and function to be and it's got nothing to do with what i actually do mm-hmm. and so that's that's a, a very strange thing they they like you said they project their images onto us of what they think clergy might be yeah how about you does that track there, yeah
0: all? there's just there's this little there's this idea that like i am a rabbi and i am jewish so some people don't have to be yes um, this is yeah, so like yeah. i'm a reform rabbi which i mentioned before but like you know it's, there's like if you think about like maybe like more of an orthodox rabbi, you know they follow mm-hmm. every single rule which we call in Hebrew halacha, which means going. So they follow every single halacha that's, that's that's out there, and there's so many of them. There's uh-huh. um, so 613. There's there's more than that. Right. So a lot of people will say, well, that that rabbi is Jewish for me. They, you know, they're they're doing the good work. Necessarily, I don't have to. And while, since I'm Reform, I don't, I'm not necessarily need to like follow all 613. Halachot, which is the plural, I, I I don't believe I'm Jewish for anyone else, right? And I don't believe I'm letting anyone else off the hook, mm-hmm. um, just because I'm following the rules, and maybe that maybe they feel guilty that they're not. And so I get that. I, I don't I don't I mean I, I would say that I'm often like like a paragon of of the tradition, and I just don't see myself that way. I see myself yeah. more as like a community organizer, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. or you know, or someone that's sort of like I you know I love being with Jewish people, you know, and I I, I do love Judaism, but I'm not Jewish for you and I'm not practicing Judaism. So you don't have
1: to. Right. Yeah. I think that same tension exists in, in our circles. And there's a a funky thing where, of course, we're not holier than anybody and we should never pretend to be (laughs) yet in our particular job, in our role, we do have the, the expectation. And I think it's a, a, a fair one. To lead by example, and so if I were to say, "Well, I am a Christian minister, and yet I intentionally broke eight of the commandments today, just for kicks." You're talking about the ten, right? Yeah, of the ten you broke. I'm saying eight of the ten, not of the six hundred (laughs) and thirteen. I broke six (laughs) hundred and four of the six hundred and thirteen. If I just did that without any sense of remorse and just laughed about it, then I think the the congregation would have every right to dismiss me, right? Because I'm not. I'm not living according to what we profess to believe and hope for. sure, sure. as opposed to if I if I broke a couple by accident and apologized, then I think, okay, you move on together, right? Um, so we're not holier than that, but we're also not flaunting the hopes of the community. So it is a strange it's a strange balance.
0: yeah, I mean certainly we have to like yeah yeah you're right. We have to um, comport ourselves in a way that it makes sense for our for being clergy, yeah, and so we, we don't want to fall into any kind of scandals, right? Um, obviously, yeah. And uh, but you're, yeah, yeah. But I also I don't feel holier than thou either. I've got a very similar story where I remember once I was like literally just d- d- started rabbi school. Uh-huh. My grandma passed away, and I ended up um, going to the funeral, and, and I ended up you know officiating, even though I was just brand new. Huh. And I was at this orchard. <laughs> And someone ate an apple from the orchard right in front of me. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry I did that. And I'm like, why? And they're like, because I don't own that apple. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but like, you know, it was the first time where that idea of like, like I'm, because I'm holier than
1: thou. Um, they apologize to you.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or they're more self-aware of their, of their own wrong action just being near me.
1: I think that's the heart of it. Yeah, now, in the, in the tradition I was raised in, the, the Roman Catholic Church, you would go to a priest and confess your sins to the priest as an intermediary between you and God. And that's one uh, understanding of what some traditions clergy might be. An intermediary, so they are set apart as holy, and you go to them for this uh, step uh, to to facilitate your encounter with God. And in our church, it's not like that. Right. So in right. our church, we each have our own individual, what's the word I'm looking for? Our own equal access to God um, that anyone else does. My role would be an educational one. You know, I help to help others understand how that functions. And I can even set an atmosphere and set a tone. So when we start our worship service, if I'm up there picking my nose in the middle of it, it's going to shut people down from being (laughs) open to the presence of what we want to do, right? So you help set the tone with your various... what some churches uh, jokingly call the smells and bells, right? You light the incense, you ring the bells, and it kind of helps people remember this is what we're here for. Yeah. And we yeah. get back to that hocus-pocus aspect, you know. Oh, right the itself. incense.
0: What a fun tradition. We don't do that. I mean, I we don't, mean, don't either. It's not, not part of ours. Yeah. But in the Catholic <laughs> Church, it was a
1: big part. And I tell yeah. you, when I go back to Catholic churches now, even without incense involved at all, uh, the smell of some holy spaces is very recognizable. And based on some of the candles they use and some of the other things that go on there, you can walk in and, and you know, smell is deeply tied to memory. And like an aromatherapy component to this.
0: Aroma I'm a Catholic. little, I'm a
1: little, <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm a little jealous. I wish we I wish we thought more about that.
1: Well, and I've done it then before intentionally uh, because it is so practical. So uh, one Christmas we had, we talked about gold frankincense and myrrh, and I was able to have some frankincense in the place and, you know, let people see this, this is what it is. And um, it's interesting. Yeah, I have no idea what
0: Pinkinson smells like. That
1: would be interesting. Yeah, it's like a perfume. It's very (laughs) perfumey. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, yeah, the holder than thou thing is a drag. I remember, you know, sometimes I wear my clergy collar. Right for various yeah, things. Yes, yeah. I've seen that before, yeah. um, and I, I think of Catholics having
0: collars, mm-hmm. um, but
1: I don't really think of
0: uh, anyone not Catholic having collars. But I've definitely seen where a collar.
1: Lutherans will do it sometimes. Episcopal's definitely do. There's lots of different traditions which with lots of different theologies for why they would and would not. You get your non-denominational kind of typically white Christian evangelical traditions. They probably don't wear them. Uh-huh. For lots of reasons. Uh, in our tradition, it's really very personalized of a choice with the pastor and the congregation of what they're comfortable with and what they want to express. I tend to use it if I am doing work in which I want to be visually identifiable as as a clergy person. you know, And so if I am representing the faith community at like you and I have met at a couple of public demonstrations for political action, mm-hmm. and it can be helpful to say, "Oh, we have clergy." Uh, that support this, and so wearing the collar just plays well in that regard. Or, I, I, I often wear my kippa in this in the same way. You know? You, yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's like to you, be recognized as someone. People is, are yeah. looking for clergy here, and yeah. why not make myself easily found? You know, yeah. I, I'm tall, that helps. But does, other than that, yeah. it's like. You know, um, but sometimes at a wedding or a funeral, I've had people specifically ask me to wear it because they feel that helps them be assured that there is the presence of God in the room. Now. I could argue with them and say, God is always present in the room. My collar does not change that. But it's just as easy for me to wear it and make them feel happy, you know? Yeah, and so, yeah, and yeah. so I'll do it then too. But then there have been times on my way home from such a thing, I was, I officiated one funeral where the... Uh, family of the deceased said, please, everyone, go lift a toast in his memory tonight. Get some good whiskey and, and have a drink in his honor. Nice. So on the way home from the funeral, I stopped at the liquor store. As you were commanded to do. Exactly. Yeah. I was just following the to family's follow the wishes. Rule, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I stopped off and bought a bottle of whiskey. But then I'm walking out of the liquor store wearing my collar, carrying a bottle of liquor, and passed by someone who I know who just thought it was hilarious, right? Just the funniest thing he ever saw. And to me, I'm thinking... I'm just a person. Yeah, you know, I drink yeah. whiskey sometimes. It, it, would it be funny if I was carrying milk? I mean, it's like, it, right. it, it's not. Yeah. I'm not forbidden from earthly pleasures. So
0: that's more of the holier than thou kind of problem, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He yeah. he
1: thought I was holier than him, and uh, you know, and so I, I subverted his expectations with whiskey, <laughs> as one should. <laughs>
0: but like, I wonder what that does. Like, you know. I, so sometimes I wonder. When I disabuse a person of the fact that maybe I'm not holier than thou, yeah. they, get, um, they get disappointed yeah. in that. Because they live sort of this lifestyle that the, that, that the clergy, if you will, mm-hmm. in my case the rabbi, is this stand-up guy. And I, and I try to be a stand-up guy. You right, know? Of course. But as you pointed out just a moment ago, I'm also a human being. Yeah. And so when I show my human side as opposed to my rabbi side, I disappoint people sometimes. Yeah. And, then, and, I, and I think about that because like, I, I don't want to disappoint people, of uh-huh. course, but I also people, people should recognize the fact that clergy are human beings and that makes them better clergy right. <laughs> when they're allowed to be human beings. huh.
1: Yeah, and we have to keep ourselves humble and not become one of those cult leaders. You right. know? Like, right. I, I would never want my congregation to become more like me right i want them to become more like whoever god made them to be right, and right. and if if i were just telling them follow me follow me the best they could ever be is me and that's not very good <laughs> you know that's that's not a goal to aspire to i'm yeah. not i'm not trying to aspire to meanness yeah yeah um, so i want them to be whatever god intended them to be and and get myself out of the way just equip them to chase their own spiritual track but you know i feel like many of our i would
0: say of our colleagues
1: mm-hmm. do
0: sort of like become that sort of yeah that person i have got i know plenty of colleagues that like who are really like that they're like right. i i am famous
1: for my sermons and right and that's what i am and, and to uh, be honest i think you and i have that temptation. Right? We I mean, certainly do. At yeah. the end of the Christmas service, when it's super crowded and everyone says, what a good boy you are. Good job, Matt. <laughs> and I'm they call like, you a good yeah. bo- they call no. You a boy? No, they don't. I'm okay, joking. Good, 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 good. I'm, <laughs> no. I'm joking. There's this, this affirmation aspect of it that just feels great. And yeah. when everyone says you did a great job, it's kind of like, yay, look what I did. I did a good job today. You know, yeah. and it's easy to get lost in that and let that be the goal you pursue. Instead right, of right. truth and justice. Right.
0: Well, you know, especially like, so my high holidays would be my example of that. Sure. Where our, yeah. my goal as a, as a clergy or as a rabbi is just to unlock a prayerful experience for my congregation, right? That, that would is be, a great way to That's the it. humble, yeah. Yeah. that's the humble route that you and I tr- attempt to
1: achieve. Right. But we are human beings, you know, yep. like
0: it's, it's, it's hard.
1: I've had ideas where I'm like, you know, it would be hilarious if I did this, this thing over here, I got to find a way to shoehorn that into a sermon. Uh-huh. Right, because yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be funny, <laughs> and and almost a hundred percent of the time, then those sermons are crappy. Right, because I wasn't being truthful with that; I was going for the laugh, which would you being know, campy or whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah right. And like, so yeah. I sacrificed the truth of the sermon for what I thought would be a positive response, and that's yeah, that's a it's a fool's paradise, Mrs. Bueller. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. All right. So I think that and that covers our Stray Dogma segment. So, All right. Uh, and then Matt and I, we did a lot of thinking about what to call this third part. And right now we've, we've landed on calling it Pop Theology. I'm cool uh, with that. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see how that goes for a while. Um, and the idea of a... Bet- Behind pop theology is like Matt and I really want to kind of like uncover where sort of like pop culture and and theology sort of meet and many times clash. Yeah, uh, and uh, and kind of commentate on that um, as a rabbi, I love. I love commentary, and so it's just fun to talk about that kind of thing. And so, yes. so our goal for this section is sort of bring something in that's more modern, or and it could be a, it could be a range of stuff. But I think one thing that's near and dear to my heart, and and I know it's near and dear to Matt's heart, is it is this this is this Pew study that came out in 2018.
1: So Pew, P-E-W, is the name of the survey organization. It does not mean they studied people in the pews in a church building. Oh, watch out! It, is, <laughs> it gets more confusing. Yeah. If you talk about it. Yes, because because the fascinating. Thing was
0: this group the Pew had called nuns. Now, if you're thinking about women wearing habits, uh, that is not correct. It's nuns as in n-o-n-e-s, right?
1: Which is shorthand for people who say none of the above when asked what their religion is,
0: right? And so, and the Pew discovered that this number is becoming significant. Trying to remember at the top of my head, I believe for the old and new millennials, which, which for some reason. The pew d- didn't do Gen Z, instead just did old and new millennials. I think the data was collected quite a while ago, so yeah. they might have been too young when they were yeah. collecting it. Yeah. yeah, But about 22% okay. of both old and and new millennials are in the nun category.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I'm trying to remember what it is for the other demographics. While you're looking that up, did I ever tell you that
1: my mom was a nun? No, wait, yeah. wait, wait, which version of nun are you talking about? Roman Catholic nun. No yeah, way. Kind of crazy. And my she dad... She have
0: been a nun forever. Because. Correct. And my
1: dad was a Roman Catholic priest. Wow, so wow. I am likely the only person you'll ever speak to whose uh, parents both took a vow of celibacy.
0: How that... Uh, <laughs> so many que- you know, that's a different day. I have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's, but, the whole, um, that's a whole mini series. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, also uh, Generation X, twenty-eight percent are part of Twenty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, baby boomers, twenty-two percent. So yeah. none
1: of the above, meaning that if given a survey, sometimes they refer it to the census, but other times just their own internal polling. They say, "What is your religion?" And one of the options is none of the above. Yeah. And they check that, and that is a large and growing. If I understand the trends correctly, a large and growing set of our population.
0: It really is. And, and in fact, the Pew uh, unpacks that more into three categories okay. of nuns, and that's atheist, agnostic, and then nothing particular. Right. So those are three different kinds of nuns
1: yeah. that uh, the Pew have sort of like done research on. The problem I have with that is... is <laughs> I knew we would yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really good at saying, yeah, but. So uh, I'm a yeah, butthead. head. <laughs> I think there's some problems with the methodology in terms of how you ask a question. And as a rabbi, you are very, very experienced in the fact that people of faith could define the same thing a thousand different ways. Yeah. Right. And what I I say, let's go to a worship service. That will mean a hundred different things to a hundred different Christians. And, and rightly so. It's, it can be, if you go to an Eastern Orthodox church as opposed to a non-denominational inner city church in the U.S., the experiences will seem almost not related in any way. And I think that can be true in religion studies as well. If you ask somebody, are you religious? They're likely to say no because they left their church when they were 25 years old. But if you ask them, do you believe in a higher power or do you believe that we're all connected by some spiritual manner or do you believe that there is more to life than just what we see here? They're going to say yes to all those things. So does that mean that they're not religious? Eh, maybe. You know, so I, I. So when I see nuns as a growing category, on one hand, I find it interesting because I, yeah. I just like social data. That's cool. But on the other hand, I... I I somewhat set it aside because I don't think they're asking the right questions in the right way.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, like,
1: I I, I know many Jews who are atheists, which is such a fascinating... Right. Yeah. I, I
0: don't even know how to, like, unpack that for... It's hard to unpack that. But, like, yeah. you know, they, they consider themselves to be culturally Jewish. And they participate in many of the cultural Jewish events. Right. Whatsoever, But they don't believe in God, is so they speak. Sure. Um, and so... Yeah, so I guess I guess what I wonder is that that you know I mean I'm I'm an old millennial, so under my demographic, it's 22 percent nuns, and I, and like mm-hmm. and like I wonder like as you point out, if, if we rephrase the question just a bit, yeah, maybe take maybe take this idea: Do you believe in God? And the answer is no, then you're a nun. Out out of that, I wonder how many how many nuns we would have right after that comment.
1: But, yeah, I, yeah, and I think uh, you mentioned atheistic Jews. You also have. A whole buddhist tradition that doesn't necessarily say i believe in a god and hinduism might not say a god right if you're a polytheist or uh or some other more like uh pagan-like religions that might have like many different spirits per area mm-hmm. these things wouldn't fit the check boxes yeah yeah and it gets it gets more complicated as you unpack the Pew study, yeah,
0: because then the Pew study asks these n- this nun group more questions, right? Uh-huh. Um, one of them being, uh, what's what's a, an important reason why you're not affiliated? Yeah, um, yeah. And so the biggest one, which was sixty percent, said, I, I question a lot of religious teachings. <laughs> right. Right. Right, yeah. right. And like you just described, someone Jewish there, right? You know, yeah. like I mean, I, I get people. I mean, well, Russian where does Judaism the, all the time.
1: and where does the word reform come in? Reform Judaism because I know in, in, I'm in the reformed tradition of Christianity, yeah. which means we came from a split from our parents church in which we questioned all the religious teachings. Essentially, it's compl- oh, Judaism is never very simple, sure. <laughs> yeah. But, uh,
0: but yeah, I mean it's a little bit like that yeah. where, where the reform movement said, you know we, we just can't practice all the, the halakha, like I mentioned uh-huh. earlier. Um, and so we're going to not practice all of them and try to
1: also be Jewish gotcha. at the same time. That's um, a very simplified
0: yeah. version. Ours of was much
1: more warfare based, where we said, "Screw you, <laughs> we're not doing that anymore." And so you know, it led to a lot of battles. And um, but yeah, it was very much based on questioning: Why is the church doing these practices when it should not be doing this? So according to that, you know, Martin Luther would be a nun, and that, that doesn't that track. Doesn't feel, doesn't feel right. You know? Yeah. But I do wonder
0: though, you know, this demographic that the Pew are talking about. Like mm-hmm. pretend that we did like, a follow-up phone call yes, that's... to each of those people. <laughs> but I heard you were talking to the Pew the other day. And, like, <laughs> we're just curious. Yeah. Um what we could unpack from that same demographic I would be
1: curious. Um, yeah. Because
0: I would love to know more about like where like like you know, because the Pew can only ask very specific questions and they uh-huh. can't really go beyond that. So they can't necessarily So even though we know that 60% say I question a lot of religious teachings, we don't Really know why they question a lot of religious teachings? That's yeah. just the most prominent thing. But right. you know, and there's more. Like for example, 49% said I don't like the positions churches take on social political issues. Right. You know, um, 41% said I don't like religious organizations. I mean, I don't know how you and I would, would get to someone like that and say, you know, we're not so bad. Yeah, but I don't uh-huh. know how we convince them of that of that kind of thing. Right. I have to sit down and talk to that person for a little while to understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just so fascinating because part of me feels like Pew Pew could have asked these questions differently, as you pointed yeah. out, mm-hmm. and maybe pared that that number down. But part of me thinks there there is that group out there that are that are nuns, you know, completely. They are that's what they are. Mm-hmm. And and like I, and I wonder if they've ever encountered anyone like us before. Where yeah. we're a little bit more I mean like for example, my my community is very egalitarian, very inclusive and very mm-hmm. accessible
1: and so those are really important to us. And, and I think a good question to ask people is is all often what if someone says like, I don't like religion or I don't believe in God, I'll say, Well describe to me what you mean by religion because odds are I don't like it either. <laughs> and <laughs> right, describe right, yes. to me what you are what God you're referring to, because odds are I don't believe in that I, God I, either. I said,
0: I said, yeah, I said, tell him yeah. over the God that you don't, that you don't believe in. Yeah. It's a sentence I've said more than once uh-huh. to people in that situation. Now, I, I often interact with people who are, I would say, are Jewish somehow, like their parents are Jewish, yeah. and they just certainly aren't. Yeah. and They kind of want to give me the reasoning of why. Uh-huh. And so but, but so like my pool of people who I work with is kind of, I, I imagine, smaller than maybe your pool. Because normally my pool are people who have a connection to Judaism one way or another. I see. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. I get a lot of people in our church who are, for lack of a better word, refugees from the religious experience of their childhood. So they were raised in some church somewhere and they found it either just boring or irrelevant or in the worst cases outright abusive. Mm-hmm. And they leave religion usually for quite a while and then for some reason, start looking for it again. So they, some people have said, after 9-11, I realized life is too short and that there's this part of me that I've been not nourishing. So sure. I came looking for a faith community. Uh, after the earthquake, we had some of that too here yeah. in Alaska. You know, I, f- I, I, I expect, based on what I've heard some other scholars saying, that after the pandemic, we'll see a similar swell. Um, they call it mortality salience. When you come face-to-face who with... Who calls it that? Uh, <laughs> scholars who got nothing better than it. <laughs> mortality salience? Yeah, because mortality you salience. you have been presented with the inability to gloss over the fact that you got a limited amount of time here. You know, most of your day you just go about it and you have fun, but once in a while you just can't look away from the fact that you are going to end. And when that happens, you go looking for something.
0: That's interesting. So, I mean, I, I would say... Mortality salience is a big word for trying to find meaning, in a, right? Like yeah, telling... but I think it's
1: trying to find meaning at a moment that is particular to what triggered your search for that moment. The trigger is having encountered death. So sometimes it's the death of a parent or another yeah. loved yeah, one. Sometimes yeah. it's a world event like a pandemic or, or uh, September 11th was for many people. Um, you know, there's some type of of mortality event in your life that you're close to. For some, it's a, it's a near death experience for themselves. Maybe they were in a car crash and almost didn't survive. Yeah. And so they say, suddenly I really am interested in this stuff. And it's not just grasping for an afterlife. It is like you're saying, seeking meaning. And, and that can be a beautiful starting point for some. It's a terrible starting point because they want assurance that nothing bad will ever happen. You know, and I can't give them that. Gosh, you know, now now that you said that, I okay. wish the Pew had a study where they asked people of an
0: older generation yeah. the times in their life where they felt religion was and was mm-hmm. not meaningful yeah. to them. That'd be more, for me, that would be very informative. Because yeah. I think, because I often notice myself that I often, mm-hmm. I can bring in more people during what I would call like life cycle events, right? So people that have True. couples that have kids, for example, uh-huh. they want their kids to to grow up Jewish. They yeah. themselves would never really consider it. Oh yeah.
1: Considered. And so like that's a and, that's a life event. I agree. Yeah, that happens too. Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. just death it's not based. Just, yeah. It's also life based, <laughs> right. yes. Yeah. But those events are good for are, are good for business, the business that you <laughs> and I are in, you know, because yeah. they often bring in a new congregants. Mm-hmm. They they always saw it as something out there they cared about. But they were always able to put it on the back burner for a spell. But now suddenly I've got these, I've got this baby I'm responsible for. I want this baby to have a connection maybe to its ancestors, right? Or maybe to something charitable or just something that's more meaningful than whatever their life currently is. And so they, yeah, they look to invest their, their hearts someplace. Yeah, invest your heart to, into our faith communities, right? Yeah, I plugs. mean, <laughs> yeah, I really just, th- there's a lot that I agree with in those few things that say organized religion has a lot of problems, right? It certainly does. But when it comes to investing your heart in something that brings meaning to your life, I stand by that 100. I think I just, you,
0: I, I think you just can't, you can't do the things that you and I can do without having an organized religion. Like, we, you and I wouldn't have a job. If our religion was not organized
1: in a way. And and they don't care if we have a job or not. The people are the nuns, right? You're right. I'm a little little biased towards my own. But let's imagine you wanted to learn yoga. Well, there's organized yoga facilities. So you can go and learn this thing you want to learn and experience this thing. Or if you wanted to learn scuba diving, well, there's organized scuba diving places where you can go and experience it and encounter it and see how that might change your outlook on life, oh. right? There's no so reason, reason a good why then would religion say, okay, we have these thousands of years of tradition and wisdom, but we're not going to have a location, and we're not going to have a structure at all, we're just going to be loosey-goosey out there, and hopefully you can find us someday. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense, you know, we, we have something of, of worth to offer, and we want to find the ways to share it in the most effective way.
0: Yeah. Well, take that Pew. I wish Pew <laughs> would be talking to us more before
1: they, uh, we they need, do these surveys. We need a whole extra segment now. called take that Pew. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just shoot them down every single time.
0: All right. Well, I think that I think that concludes our um, yeah, our think, podcast. Thank you so much for listening this far in.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, hope we can see you next time. We have a whole list of topics we want to talk about, and hopefully. Uh, People can even send in their suggestions. Maybe eventually. Yeah, yeah. So we're at this point. we I think we're at almost every place you get you can get your
0: podcast at. Great. And also before we end, though, I want to thank um, I want to thank the Muta Brothers for the music that they composed for this, and James Brown for our logo. Anything? Oh yeah. And if you want to see Matt or myself in action as clergy, um, you can do that. Uh, we're both online. So to find me, you just go to frozenchosen.org. Um, where do you, where, where do we find you, Matt? Just
1: <laughs> Google First Presbyterian Church of Anchorage, Alaska. Will come up. I don't remember what our actual URL is, but uh, make sure you put Alaska in there because there is a First Presbyterian Church in Anchorage, Kentucky. Yes. <laughs> They're also pretty cool people. So enjoy them if you go there by accident.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I uh, hope everyone there is, out there is uh, staying safe, and we hope you take care, and we'll, uh, we'll hear from us in about a month. Bye.